Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into episode number 241 of the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Hey, do you want to be seen as a leader? Well, of course you do. Hey, I'm going to give you an easy formula for how to identify if, in fact, you are a leader. Today's podcast is brought to us by Harry's.com. Now, you've heard me talk about that before. Back when we were going into Father's Day, I talked about it a lot. Harry's being the shaving razor that I use. These are really cool. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. I'm going to tell you how you can use 48 days as a coupon code to get $5 off your first inexpensive purchase. Anyway, that's at harrys.com. I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a second. So do you want to be seen as a leader? We're going to talk about that today. Here's some of the questions we'll be covering. Dan, since fear holds most people back from success, how do we break out of that? Can you think, well, here's another thing. I'm going to tell you how you can get your own personal song. Now, a song for you or your business. I'm going to share a sample with you That's a, that a cool couple did for us here in just a minute. Dan, should I do a lot of speaking as a way to continue to grow my platform? Now, I know some people have heard me talk about I've really backed off of speaking. Michael Hyatt's backed off of speaking. And people are wondering, gee, should they not be doing that? No, there's not a cookie cutter answer for that, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Dan, will the discipline and leadership skills of my military experience position me as a business consultant? Yeah, they can greatly, and I'll give you some tips for how to do that. How can I fundraise for a worthy cause, a little boy with cancer? We'll talk about the challenges of that. Is it ever a good idea to inform your employer that you've started to look for another job? Great question. I got some strong opinions about that. And what is the best way to discover what I'm passionate about and use it to chase my calling? Now, a lot to cover, obviously. We would get right into the meat of all of this. Here's our quotation. Now, I said we're going to talk about leadership. This is from John Quincy Adams. Heard this on a podcast this week and reminded me it's just a great quotation. John Quincy Adams said this. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Now, I love that quotation. Now, think about that. That means you don't have to have a big company. You don't have to have 50 employees who work for you. You don't have to be a CEO. You don't have to be a politician, a pastor. If you want to be a leader, are you the kind of person where your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more. If so, you are a leader. You can be a mom. You can be a teacher in a classroom. You can be a friendly neighbor. You can be a mentor to young men or young women just in living life. I love that. We'll come back to that again. Now, I mentioned Harry's. Harry's, yes, this is where I get my razors. I don't remember who turned me on to it originally, but I'm a fan. 
and I've been promoting it to everybody. I've gotten my sons, my son-in-law, everybody around me. I've used this as gifts for them, but it's what I used to shave. Uh, you know, we talk about a lot of lifestyle things here. This isn't just about business. So they're our sponsor. And I think it's really cool that they uh, stepped up to the plate and hearing me talk about it and said, Hey, we want to promote your show, which they're doing. So they pay me for this, obviously, but I want you to benefit from knowing about it. Harry's.com. Just go there. Use 48 days as a code to get $5 off your first purchase. Now they're inexpensive to start with. I mean, the set I have costs like 15 bucks. So if you get $5 off, it's 10 bucks. I get the one with, I use the one with the orange handle incidentally. I got the chrome handle. I think I got it engraved for my sons, but I use the one, the simple orange handle and it's, it's rocking. You'll never go back to the cheapy stuff you find at Walmart or at the counter at CVS. Trust me. Okay. Let's get into our success stories. Now, this first one comes from Todd and Emily Marriott. Now, they contacted me probably a month or so ago, maybe more than that, a couple months, and said that they write songs. They produce original songs for people. So if you want to do a gift for somebody, I mean, think about having a personalized gift that's an original song written and recorded for your friend or loved one, 100% from scratch. Todd and Emily do this. They had a great sound together. They sound like Civil Wars or Johnny Swim. The sound is similar to them. So these are serious musicians, but they did a song. I'm going to play this for you. They just took their own ideas, ran it past me. We tweaked it a little bit. This is a song that they did. It's a couple minutes long, longer than typically what I play here. But I want to hear you to hear the song they did for 48 days. This is Todd and Emily Marriott. Stuck in the J-O-B Can someone set me free? I've had enough of this this life is meaningless These hours don't pay enough This work is just so tough I need to get away The clock is ticking so don't delay It's gonna take your whole heart It's gonna take all you've got
Well, there you go. Is that cool or what? Todd and Emily Marriott. Now, their website is giftysong.com. G-I-F-T-Y song.com. Now, I've got their site up right now. I'm looking at it here. It's got a picture of them. It's a cool site. And it talks about these songs that they do. Now, the, the, we're not talking about big bucks here. We're talking about a basic song for 80 bucks. I mean, go there, check it out. I mean, think about what you could do with that. If it is creating a song for your business or just as a gift to somebody where you write the lyrics and they put it together, I mean, what a cool kind of thing. So we're going to congratulate them on what they're doing. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do with the song here. I'd love to hear your ideas about what we should do with that. I mean, we're always looking for creative things to help build a brand here, as any of you are that have a business. But uh, thanks so much to Todd and Emily for the work that they did to gift us with that song, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Very cool. Well, here's another success story. This comes from G.L. Woods, who says, Hey, Dan, I wanted to share my exciting news. Thanks for your incredible help when I attended your Right to the Bank event. After about five schedule changes, my 700 Club interview, Paralyzed Faith, is scheduled for airing next Friday, July 25th. The feature story will air nationally in both TBN and ABC Family Television channel, channels. It'll air four different times that day. Uh, so that the segment is expected to air to one million viewers, which totally blows my mind. Isn't God amazing? After it airs, you can watch previous shows online at cbn.com, 700 Club. Anyway, feel free to share this email. Now, GL was here at Right to the Bank. GL had a horrendous motorcycle accident a few years ago. And left him, you know, pretty challenged physically. He's overcome a lot, but still has some things to deal with. I wrote a book, Faith 9-11, and uh, now is telling his story. But congratulations to GL Woods for the the coverage that you're going to get on the 700 Club. That's really cool. All right. Hey, here we go. That's our champions for today. Now, if you get a success story... We want to hear about it. I mean, we got lots of those. We've got some really cool stories happening in our Coaching Mastery program right now. People that are doing exciting things. But anyway, we'll share those in upcoming weeks. But if you got a story, just shoot it to askdan at 48days.com. Or you can go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link. You'll see a way there to both ask your question or leave a comment with your success story. Love hearing those. We'll include them in upcoming podcast. Well, this comes from Victor. Victor Manzanilla. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right. It's probably yeah at the end instead of la. So anyway, Victor says, I've been building my platform for two years. Now that I'm one year to the launch of my first published book, I'm getting more and more speaking engagements. In fact, a big part of the agreed marketing plan with my publisher included a lot of speaking. I always thought that speaking was the ultimate goal due to the high fees I can charge, but I heard from you from you that you and Michael Hyatt were reducing drastically your speaking engagements because the rewards weren't as good as if investing the same time in your own platform or products. My question is, based on your experience, should I do a lot of speaking as a way to continue to grow my platform or should I follow your current situation and minimize speaking engagements and refocus all that time into my products? Thanks in advance, Victor. Now, Victor, this is a very individualized question. Last night in our weekly 48days.net brainstorming session, I had as my guest Kent Julian. Now, Kent speaks 
Kent speaks a lot. I mean, he'll do, I don't know, I think he does like 70, 80 engagements. That's a lot of speaking engagements. He has a totally different perspective on this than I do. I mean, he does enjoy that. He loves getting out there and getting in front of audiences, and it's a major contributor to his income. And I certainly honor that and affirm that for Kent. I just talked about the fact that I view it differently. For me, you know, to speak for 45 minutes, in essence, blows two days. You know, getting ready to go, I mean, more than that, when you, if you're doing any kind of a unique presentation, content that you're getting ready, but even just the going, getting there, coming back, unwinding, getting back in the group. I mean, it's about two days. And to me, it's what we call one and out. I mean, you go and speak, they pay you. Pretty much that's the end of the story. So if I go speak to a group of realtors in Miami, it's pretty much one and out. If I create content, if I put together an ebook or I do a little video series or I'm working on a major manuscript for another book, that is something I can do once and get paid 10,000 times. That's what I look for. I look for the leverage. Now with where you are in your career, it may be totally foolish to back off or say no to speaking opportunities that you have. Sounds like you're on a fast track in doing that. Well, I commend you on that. And I know people who do that and do that as their primary thing and do really, really well with that. I mean, Grant Baldwin's another young speaker in our mastermind, and that's what he does. I mean, he, he does extremely well. Josh Ship is another young guy who speaks, and we have lots of old standard, you know, Mark Sanborn, people like that who have been speaking for years and years and years, even people like Zig Ziglar, you know, before he died. I mean, that's primarily what he did. High paid speaking engagements, nothing wrong with that. This is where you get to choose what your business model looks like for you. I personally have really backed off in that area. I've added some other things that have duplicated what I would, what the best years I've ever had in speaking income and beyond. And I, again, look at product development. This could also be an evolution for you, where right now, speaking is the thing that creates immediate income for you. You know, don't, you know, don't bite the, <laughs> bite the hand that feeds you um, if this, in fact, is the thing that's generating the most income for you. So it may be that over time, when your book comes out and you start developing celery products, you'll see the power of things that create residual income rather than linear income. That's kind of the distinction that I look at. And that's me. You create your own plan and I commend you on doing that. Well, Mike says, my best friend, my best friend and I have a combined 22 years of experience as officers in the U S army and are making a career change this spring. We're taking the skills, lessons, and leadership we gained from the army to apply them toward coaching and consulting. We just signed up for the coaching with excellence event in August. Cool. We plan to coach up and coming millennial leaders to help build a personal brand and develop leadership skills. We also plan to provide consulting for businesses and corporations to bridge the gap between baby boomers and millennial future leaders. How do you think this idea of bringing the discipline and leadership skills of our military experience would resonate with business owners, corporate leaders, and up and coming leaders alike? Thanks for all you do, Dan. Looking forward to meeting you in a few weeks. Well, thanks, Mike. I look forward to meeting you as well here at Coaching with Excellence. That's uh, August 28th and 29th. <laughs> now, as far as your question, 
I think it's a beautiful fit. We can look back historically. There have been a whole lot of books that have been written on drawing principles from the military and how they apply to business. And there's a brand new one out there that you absolutely have to have. It's written by Simon Sinek, who wrote a couple years ago, Discover Your Why. But his new book is Leaders Eat Last. Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. Now, I just listened to an interview with Simon about this book, Leaders Eat Last. And what he did, he looked totally at the military. And that phenomenon that when they line up to eat, those in the lowest rank go first and the officers go last. There's that kind of mentality that you take care of everybody and ultimately the leaders take care of themselves, which really is viewed in reverse in a lot of American business. It's like, hey, you're a peon, you don't matter. You know, I'm the CEO, I'm the boss. You know, so it is a message that has application and I think you'll find a lot of receptivity for that. But also I, I recommend that you certainly get Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, and also just go to the Entree Leadership Podcast, Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership Podcast. It's the very last one done. The first one with new host, Ken Coleman, who does an amazing job, but he interviews Simon on that principle, and you're going to hear a whole lot of the principles right out of the military that will help you shape what you want to do in consulting. And of course, you can always go back to the art of war. I mean, that's been around for a long time. That's another one that looks at good military principles and how they have application in business as well. Now, I know Rodney Whitehead sent me a note. I'll just put a link to this in the, I'll, I'll put a link to this in the, the notes for today, but it's a link to creative resumes. And these are a hoot. Now you've heard me talk about somebody that, you know, I wrapped the resume around an ear of corn different kind of things like that. I've got sitting here in my desk, a little bag of coffee where the ingredients are shown as a resume for somebody. But this link that, um, the link that we've got here shows resumes that are done like a candy bar on the front. It's a Hershey's milk chocolate candy bar. And you turn it over the ingredients, you know, motivation, it has the guy's name, motivation, 101%, communication, 97%, adaptability, 97%. So it's like ingredients, but it's listing the characteristics of this job applicant. I think that's really, really cool the way these are done. And there's one done in manga style, you know, like little cartoons. Here's one that is done a real graphic design thing, one that you scan out like a, a color chart. And you scan out and see the different characteristics of a person. Here's one that's done like a coming movie, coming soon to a theater new year. The designer, a magical display of visual wizardry. And it's got the resume there. Um, The one, you know, cartoons are popular. A cereal box where it's done totally as a person's resume. I mean, these are just creative ways that people are getting attention out there. Of course, I heard, I talked a couple weeks ago about a guy that spent seven weeks brewing his own beer. Then he bottled it, designed the labels with his resume. He sent those out. Now that guy got, I mean, he got immediate job offers. I mean, just based on doing that, wasn't that much that was outstanding about his background, but he created his own label on beer bottles and companies just, I mean, they respond to things like that. Now, certainly here's one that's a passport laid out 
with the characteristics. Here's one, a guy created a resume and sent it to Pixar and he, he created his own movie, like an old real movie packaged in the old kind of cases. They used to send them with the straps around it. You open it up and it's the guy's resume. And I love those kind of those kind of things. Guy created his own Amazon page. You can go there. I'll link to that. But be clear that you can be creative when you're doing a resume. Now, if you're applying for a bookkeeping job, I mean, be careful about being too creative. They want they don't want you to be creative. They want you to be accurate. So it depends on the kind of position that you want. But for most positions out there, do something that not everybody else is doing. Be creative in what you're doing. All right, now let's go to a more uh, serious question here. Uh, Brad says, first of all, I want to thank you for your mentorship through the years. I recently quit my job as an engineer to go into real estate and development, and I couldn't be happier. My question has to do with fundraising. I've heard you mention several instances where people have been wildly successful when their internet fundraiser goes viral. I have a family member, a four-year-old boy, who recently had an emergency surgery to remove a brain tumor and is now undergoing radiation and chemotherapy. A friend of the family created an account on GoFundMe.com to raise money to help the family. I created a little video with my boys with a link to try to gain some traction. I posted it on Facebook, but it hasn't taken off. I know that if done the right way, it could be wildly successful. You know, most of these things that do go viral are total surprises. We can't really figure out why. And there are a lot of very worthy things like you're talking about here. Little boy that family needs some funds to help with his chemotherapy treatment that just don't go anywhere. I don't know. I mean, just getting exposure and doing things like you're doing here, you know, sharing what the link is, the little video you did with your little boys on um, knock, knock jokes was just precious. I mean, it's really neat. And then leading in, I mean, I was totally caught off guard when it got to the point where it showed the little boy who then had a brain tumor, but it was very engaging, very compelling. I don't know. I wish there were a way to take worthy things and make them successful. And some of the goofy things that are out there, you know, could die an early death, but um, it just defies explanation. Last week, a couple of things that I mentioned that I'm watching and currently still watching. One is a guy making potato salad. Now, this is on Kickstarter. I mean, he's very open about it. He said he's going to make potato salad, and he was hoping to raise $10 to get the ingredients. Well, it was just goofy enough, remarkable enough, and that is a lot of what happens with these things. It was remarkable enough. It just took off. Now, at this point, wanting to raise $10 for the ingredients for potato salad, he has now gotten committed $61,652. There's nine days left to go in his campaign at this point. He's been on NPR. He's been on other kind of national news. He doesn't know what he's going to do with the money. And there are guidelines with Kickstarter about you can't just give it to a charity. He doesn't know what he's going to do with the money. But the promise, if you donate money to him, is that he'll say your name softly as he's making potato salad. I mean, how absurd is that? And yet those are the kind of things that seem to really take off. Another one that I'm watching is the coolest cooler. A guy designed a better cooler where it's got a built-in blender at the top. It's got a built-in speaker. And it's it's like 185 bucks. So you put in your money, you're going to get one of the coolers. But there are other levels at which you can contribute or donate. 
He was hoping to raise $50,000 to really roll out to manufacture these. Wanted $50,000. He currently has $6,848,824. Almost $7 million he has raised for that. Hard to understand. There's no formula. You got to get in the game like you did. What you did with the video, the little video of your little boys doing knock-knock jokes, I think is really well done. We'll hope that it does go viral and raise money. And we see that there's, there's millions of these kind of fundraising things out there at this point. And there's a lot of goofy things. There's a lot of scams. There are a lot of people that jump on after national tragedies like a flood or a hurricane or whatever, and get on there and raise money and uh, do it in unethical ways. So it's hard for people to sort through. It's hard to know what it takes to really give people to donate to a worthy cause. I mean, we've done projects with, you know, book releases and had a lot of fun with that. Now I never had anything that went viral and raised millions of dollars, but we've always been successful in raising way more than we anticipated raising uh, just by sharing the word and having an audience where you make it, make it fun, fun ways to participate. Well, sorry, I don't have more specific answers for you. We'll share the link and hope that other people can bring more, more intelligence to the, to the idea, perhaps, and ideas for how you might spread that idea. Well, Diana says, since fear holds most people back from success, how do we break out of that? You know, this is an age-old question. How do we break out of fear? There are a lot of adages out there, like W. Clement Stone, you know, said, do what you fear and fear disappears. Well, there's certainly merit in that. I mean, most of the things that we fear, it's just because it's unknown to us with something we haven't experienced. It's not that it's really dangerous. I mean, you think about the things. I mean, there, there was a book written a couple years ago. Julian Smith wrote it. It's called The Flinch. Now, I just checked. You can get that. You can get the Kindle version of that at no cost. Just just download it onto your iPhone or iPad or what, however you get it. But get the Kindle version of The Flinch. It's a quick read. I mean, it'll take you 45 minutes to read it. But it goes through the kind of things that we normally fear. One of the examples, and if you've been listening for a couple of years, you probably heard me talk about this because when it came out, I had a lot of fun with this. And I was talking about the kind of things that he would suggest that create that flinch. Ooh. You know, just that, I mean, it's the moment before you jump out of a plane, you know, with a, on a parachute. Wow, that cringe that, oh, I don't want to do this. But he also used as an example, walk into your bathroom, turn the shower on, totally cold. Now, you know what's coming. He says, get in. Now, what's that feeling that you have just before you get in, knowing that the water is totally cold? Well, I talked about that and I finally felt hypocritical for talking about it or even recommending it. So I did that. Matter of fact, I've done it several times since to experience the flinch, knowing that it's cold, just the idea. Oh my gosh. But you know what? As he then explains in his little book, the flinch. So you get into the cold water. It doesn't kill you. Yeah. It's kind of a jolt to your system, but after two seconds, it's like, wow, it's just cold water. I mean, it's like if you were out on a stream somewhere and came to a little waterfall, you walk under it. Yeah, it's cold. So my granddaughters do it. Our water feature in front of our house, you know, pretty much any time of year, man, they get in there. Ooh, it's cold, but it's so much fun standing under there. A lot of things that we fear 
we're going to recognize are a lot of fun once we're in there. We're going to recognize it's really not life-threatening. It's really not harming us. It's not dangerous. It's just something we haven't experienced before. So I'll leave it with that as a recommendation. Not just do what you fear and disappears. I mean, there's some things that you should not do. I mean, fear is a legitimate emotion and protects us. Some things you don't need to do. I mean, if you decide you're going to, you know, walk into a fire, obviously fear protects us. But if you think it's holding you back from opportunities. Now, I asked just somebody just yesterday, actually, my bookkeeper was here and she talked about doing something for the first time. And I said, you know what? I ask myself every single morning, what am I going to do today that I've never done before? I really do. I mean, I do a lot of mind games with myself. You know that by now. But I ask myself, what am I going to do today that I've never done before? Because it's in doing those things I've never done before that it opens me up to new adventures and new opportunities. I mean, we know the definition of insanity. Keep doing what you've always done. Expecting different results. It's not going to happen. If I want different results, and I do. I mean, geez, I want different results all the time. I'm looking for new things. So one of the keys to opening that up is asking myself, what am I going to do today that I've never done before? And some of those things are fear inducing initially. I try to be pretty discretionary at this point. So I'm not doing things that are going to harm me physically, but I like to do things that I've never done before. I like to read books I've never read before. I mean, the kind of books that I've never read before. I mean, go to restaurants where I've never been before just to experience it. So that kind of thing, I think, will help you get through the idea that this is really something to be feared. It's probably just something that you haven't experienced. Great question. Well, John says, thanks for all you do. You've truly changed my life. I'm currently a student pastor. Now, this is an interesting redirection here. This is one of those things you probably you don't see coming, but listen to how he lays this out. I'm currently a student pastor, but after listening to your show and reading your books, I've realized that God doesn't want me to do something I don't enjoy and I'm not passionate about. Now, just think about that for a minute. He's a student, student pastor. Isn't that the most godly thing a person could do? Well, guess what? No, it's not. We tend to spiritualize certain kind of occupations, assuming they're more godly. Pastor, teacher, evangelist, missionary. No, they're not more godly. They're just, if that's a proper fit for somebody, then that's exactly what they ought to be doing. But if somebody's gifted as a brain surgeon or a plumber, an electrician or a landscaper or a bus driver, then they need to do that with excellence and have that be their tool for ministry. Ministry happens in a lot of ways. You don't have to be standing behind a pulpit. I mean, just as we were talking about in you know, our, our quota- quotation for today, I mean, you're a leader. You're an effective leader. You can be effective in ministry and carrying out God's purpose for your life if you help people dream more, learn more, be more, kind of things we were talking about early there. I mean, wow. Don't think that it requires a particular kind of vocation to be fully in God's will. So anyway, John says, my passion is and has always been in the fitness world. I want to transition into becoming a personal trainer. Here are my questions. Can I have a niche of training men who want to lose weight or is that too narrow to make a profitable income? 
If this is a possibility, do you have any suggestions on how to make the transition successfully? Well, one, one thing I want to commend you on recognizing you're not in a good fit in what you're doing. That's really tough for a lot of people who are in a church related position. They think, oh my goodness, you know, I, I need to just do this. You know, surely this is where God wants me. Even if I'm miserable and the kids don't have any food on the table. No, if you're miserable and the kids don't have any food on the table, it's probably an indication you need to be looking for where is a good application of the talents and abilities that you have so that it releases the very best that you have to bring to the table and so that it blesses your family financially and others around you. A lot of ways to do that. Do I think that you can be focused on men who want to lose weight? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any lack of lack of prospects there. I mean, you could go for the rest of your life in that niche and have plenty of people to work with. So no, I don't think it's too narrow at all. And if that's where your passion is, that's what fits you. You can create a economic model, create a plan for how you're going to do that. Absolutely. Move into that. Now, suggestions on how to make the transition successfully, start doing that now. I mean, if you're a student pastor, I mean, that's fine, but certainly you have discretionary time. You're not putting in 168 hours a week doing that. Now, unfortunately, you may be putting in a lot of hours because I know what's required of a lot of student pastors, but they're available 24-7. That's unrealistic in and of itself. That's a topic for another day. But if you're putting in 40 hours and giving good service in the position that you have now, We have 168 hours. You ought to be able to carve out eight to 10 hours a week where you start doing personal training. Do that. Build up your clientele so your income is almost equaling what you're currently making. And you can probably do that pretty quickly in that kind of a model. And as you do that, then make the transition so you don't have to go to zero in your income, but then you can make the transition and move into that fully. Well, here's a question. Josh says, Dan, I love the podcast, listen to yours and some of your friends on my two hours of commuting to work each day. Have a great job as an electrician. I like the company, the people, most of all the work that I do. Future work looks great. I even don't mind the commute as it gives me a chance to get inspired by the podcast I listen to. Even with all this, I have had this burning desire to start my own electrical contracting business for over a year now. It'll not go away. Ideally, I would just do it on the side after working on weekends as the work I will be doing is not in competition with my employer. The problem is that in my apprenticeship, I signed a no compete type document to where I can't do any side work. What do I do? All right. This is a real challenge and it's not something where I'm going to encourage you to just kind of hide it. No, don't do that. But there ought to be some parameters on your non-compete where you're not prevented from doing side work forever. Now that may be for the first two years of your employment, but there also may be some kind of a clause in there where if you leave, there's a non-compete where you can't do the same kind of work for a period of time. Six months, two years is pretty typical on a non-compete. And it usually is confined to a particular geographic region. So within 30 miles of your current employer, as an example. So there are all those kind of fine lines in there that you ought to be able to clarify. What does your non-compete actually look like? If you're going to be doing work that is not in competition with your employer, and that's really true, 
then theoretically you could quit your job and start your other business immediately. Now, if you're going to do electrical contracting business, that's what you want to do. It's not in competition, so there's no violation of a non-compete. Then you can do all of your planning now. Create a business plan. Go to the 48days.com, helpful resources. You'll find a free business planning guide there. Go through that and, and build your business at least virtually. Build it on paper. If you can build it on paper, you can see it come alive in reality much, much quicker. So see that and then go through the process, even financial projections. How long would it take? I mean, if you go from being an employee to doing work on your own, your per job per hour income is going to go up dramatically. I mean, that's just the way that it works. If somebody's working by the hour and making $20 an hour, I mean, a lot of times the company is billing at $45 an hour for the work that that person's doing. So you can get some of that gap as soon as you go out on your own. I mean, how long would it take you to build your clientele or do you have prospective customers already? If you're going to be doing electrical contracting work, are you going to be working for major companies where you would only need two or three customers? Are you going to be doing subcontracting work for builders where you've already got two or three lined up? I mean, it sounds like you can make a transition and go right into doing this. You just need to be ethical about defining clearly what are the terms of your non-compete. Scott says, I've decided to start an intensive job search using the 48 days process. And I have a question for you. Is it ever a good idea to inform your employer that you've started to look for another job? Or is it always not a good idea to mention it until you've actually found one and are handing in your resignation? The reason to do this would be to leave on good terms and give your employer a chance to resolve problems or properly hire and train a replacement. Is there a major reason not to? Yeah, I think there's a major reason not to. You change dramatically the dynamics of your work situation when you tell your employer you're looking for another job you instantly become a lame duck. Now, lame duck is a political term, but you understand what that means. I mean, take our current president, President Obama. He can't be reelected. We know that. That changes the tenor of what he's able to do because the clock is ticking. He cannot be reelected. But when you tell your employer you're looking for another job, it immediately plants in their mind, he's out. He's not a team member. We aren't going to give him any increased responsibility. We aren't sure he's going to complete the current projects that he's got going. You really are on thin ice. If they get an opportunity, if you tell them, here's an example. If you tell them you're looking for another job, they say, well, that's fine. We support you in that. And so you start a job search. Let's say that three months pass and you're still in the job search. You haven't found a job that you really like that you want to move to. Oh, in the meantime, they have a really strong candidate approach them who could do what you're doing now. They're very likely to make the hire and say, well, we know you're leaving anyway. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I'm not, I don't have anywhere to go. They say, well, I'm sorry, you know. Today's your last day. We were just replaced you with somebody that we're more excited about. I mean, that, that's a realistic scenario. Just yesterday, I had this conversation 
with somebody who we talked about that very thing. She's starting her own coaching practice. She's starting to do workshops and seminars. And she said, well, should I tell my employer? I said, oh, no, don't do that. It's way too early. You need to be generating significant income because they could, if you tell them you're going to for another job, they could say, well, that's fine. You know, why don't you clean out your desk this afternoon? We really don't need you anymore. We were thinking about downsizing anyway, so you can go ahead and leave. I mean, you, you put yourself in that position. It's really inadvisable. I can't think of a situation where it would be good to do that. Now, let's play through this a little bit more. Let's say that you are in the interview process and you have two job offers on the table. At that point, it would be fine to tell your employer, I'm looking for some new opportunities. I've done a job search. I have two offers on the table. Your current employer may say, you know, there's another position we really think you're a candidate for. It would be a major promotion. We're going to double your income. I mean, that conversation can be had at that point because you have a plan B in place. That's very legitimate and very typically the way that would play out. If at that point they say, oh, no. You know, we were thinking about getting rid of you anyway. You're kind of a sluggard. We don't want you. Well, at least you have something else on the table. But until you have solid offers, I would not tell your current employer that you're looking for another opportunity. A lot of different scenarios on this and that, that kind of thing. So certainly there may be an exception to the rule, but that's the way that I've seen that played out typically. Well, this comes from Matt. It says, I'm a 29-year-old working as an accountant in a governmental entity. I get into accounting because I love the numbers, thought it would provide a great income. However, the deeper I've gotten into my career, the more I realize I hate accounting. The rules and regulations are never ending. I get the feeling almost daily that the work I do is meaningless. Ouch. I listen to your podcast, hear stories of people getting excited about chasing their dreams and their passions, but I don't know what my passions are. I feel like the skills I've gained as a CPA are useful but it certainly doesn't light my fire. What is the best way to discover what I'm passionate about and use it to chase my calling? Well, Matt, unfortunately, it's not uncommon when you're doing something that you don't really enjoy that you start to lose the sensitivity to what you once did enjoy. You become numb to what your real passions are. Now, this is a real unfortunate kind of phenomenon, but I've seen it played out again and again and again. I spoke one time at a church over near Memphis, Tennessee, and I spoke on following your dreams. You know, identify your dream and follow that. Had somebody in the front row. It's a rather large audience, but I noticed this guy in the front row was super attentive and immediately afterward came up and talked to me and he says, I don't have any dreams. And I said, that's impossible. I've never met a human being who did not have dreams. I said, what's your current situation? He described he's a pharmacist. I said, how long have you been doing that? He said, 17 years. And what he described was that in those 17 years, the role of a pharmacist has changed dramatically. I mean, you've seen that. It used to be almost like the family doctor where a person would come in, talk to them, they'd get advice, share about the family and so on. You know, now it's a guy counting pills behind a counter. Boom, they go out through a window. 
it's changed a lot. I know I've generalized there, but that's how he described it. And he described what in essence is that old frog in the kettle kind of metaphor that we use, where if you we're told that if you put a frog in, you know, warm water, it'll just sit there. But if you put a frog in cool water and slowly turn up the heat, he'll no. And I, I really said that wrong. If you put a frog in hot water, he'll jump out. But if you put a frog in lukewarm water and slowly increase the heat, he'll sit there until he cooks because the changes have been so slow and subtle. That's what this guy described. Now, if you're in accounting and you just, you realize that you hate it and your, your work is meaningless, maybe you've lost touch of what your passions are. Maybe you need a clean break. This may defy what I just said about the earlier question here. It may be that the best way for you to really get in touch with that is to quit your job, do something else. I mean, work at Home Depot for a couple months. Not a big deal. I mean, get with a a lawn mowing crew this time of year. Get outside to clear your head. I've worked with pastors where we've done that. Get them out of a suit and tie. Get them out without a shirt on where they sweat. It changes their thinking. It taps into creativity they thought they had lost. You may need that kind of a break. But ultimately... It's in looking inward that you discover your passions. Now, also, if you've heard me talk about my book, Wisdom Meets Passion, that I wrote with my son, Jared, and we talk a lot about passion, and passion is more developed than it is discovered. Passion develops by doing something really well. So don't just wait and wait and wait, hoping for that lightning bolt kind of experience to know what your passion is. No, Be involved in other things. Volunteer for something. Get involved in other things in your community. Do a a vacation vocation. One of those trips where you spend a week working in a new occupation just to see if it's something that you would enjoy. That's a real site. Vocation, vacation. You can check out the the cool kind of things that they have there. I ought to pull that up. Share some of the current opportunities there. I'll do that for next week. But that's, you've got to ultimately look at yourself to see the recurring theme and what you have an affinity for. And if you could spend more time doing that, could it actually develop into something that provided income and where you developed a passion for doing that? The keys are in your hand. Well, thanks for being part of this community where we have a chance to talk about these interesting real life issues. Remember our quotation for today from John Quincy Adams, who said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. I know you want to be a leader. It's that easy. Be somebody where your actions inspire others. If you're in a a life sucking job, your actions are not inspiring others to dream more and do more. If you're clear on what it is you're doing, that it is an application of your passion, it's going to inspire those around you. One of the primary roles that I have, the privileges I have, is just to help people tap into what inspires them, what passions they have, and to live that out. Hey, join us for upcoming events here. We'd love to see you. Got our Coaching with Excellence coming up in a few weeks here. Not too late to get in. Love to see you here, help you develop as you hear some of the other stories here that where we've worked with people to develop their passion for coaching, for changing other lives. That can be extremely profitable as well as fulfilling and something you can increase your passion for. Hey, jump in the 48days.net community. Let us know what you're doing there as we together find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, 
Yeah, get that yeah in there. And profitable. You know I'm going to add that. Don't settle for less. Have a great week.